Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hey, Small Group Network, welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We are so glad you chose to take time to hang out with us. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. If you're with us for the first time, welcome. We're so excited you've joined us. Here's how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have a guest with us who is also a small group point person to share with you insights from books we are reading and what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership, or our small groups. This month, we have a really special episode for you. We cover the book E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and it is a personal favorite of mine. When the idea was first brought to me to host this type of show, on Group Talk Podcast, I knew this was one of the books I wanted to cover because it had such an obvious impact on our church and it had a heavy influence on our structure and how we lead as an organization. And I held off doing this book right away because I wanted to find the perfect guest who could do this book justice. And I admit, I lied to you in the introduction because today's guest is not a small group point person, but a lead pastor. And specifically, my lead pastor, Chris High. He might not be a small group point person, but I can promise you he is a small group champion in our church. One last thing before we start, this book is so good that we couldn't fit it in all into one episode. So you're about to hear part one, where you get to learn more about Chris High and then also how he planted this church 13 years ago. And then we're gonna dive into the concept of franchising and how that can benefit our small groups. And then we'll be back next week with part two, where we'll talk about what we learned from this book about organizational structure. And I, I know, I know, I know. That might not sound exciting, but I promise you we're gonna make it tangible so that you can take what you've learned from this podcast and implement the concepts where you lead. Okay, on to the interview with Pastor Chris High. So welcome, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Excited to be here. So Chris Chris has been the lead pastor of Hoboken Grace since 2008, so 13 years, and God gave your 13th year to be a pandemic year. Yeah. So, well, lucky you know, 13. they say about 13, so... <laughs> Probably should have been expected. Yeah. So what led you to Hoboken? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I've been a part of multiple church plants in the New York metro area and have been able to be a part of some some really incredible stories in yeah. that. I started off uh, with church planning in this, actually in the city. And then my dad and I teamed up to plant a church west of here. And through that whole process, just engaging God, praying, okay, God, where would you have us go what's when we planted skyline we our goal was not just to plant one church but to plant multiple churches we always knew that i'd come out from that church plant so that in praying through that looking at the the landscape of churches in our area um it's a it's a long story but god led us to hoboken yeah uh, with the goal of again not just planting one church but multiple churches and what do you specifically like about hoboken what what is it that you know you to this place and so hoboken is a unique place in new jersey because it's where manhattan meets new jersey Mm, all all almost all transportation from new jersey into manhattan or from manhattan into new jersey flows through hoboken Mm -hmm. so we have a tunnel below us a tunnel above us we have all the ferries that come through here uh, the train the train hub basically for new jersey comes out of hoboken 
uh, outside of the outside of the George Washington Bridge, it, it's basically the connecting point. So, having planted church, churches, or having been part of a church plant in Manhattan, and then also planting a church in New Jersey, it just seemed like God had been preparing, uh, preparing me, and uh, preparing us for this church plant yeah. for quite a while. Yeah, and I always like to describe it, uh, Hoboken. It's it's. It's interesting in that, like, it's almost like we get to do church in a box because Hoboken is kind of boxed in. So it's between those two tunnels, the Holland and the Lincoln Tunnel. And then we have this cliff along the back that then also kind of like blocks us in. And so it's, really, it's been really interesting because um, it's, a, it's only a square mile and it allows us to, to practice sort of things and realize, like, <laughs> you know, we, we always hear in church world, like, what if you can impact just one square mile? Like, where, where, where? That's our only option here. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's, that's been a great part. And of, there's no parking in our city. So you're not really going to expand yeah. beyond that. Yeah. And then to explain like the, you were talking about how like the train connects to the rest. There's an urban legend. I don't, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but that's where then the word hobo comes from, from Hoboken because the, they would get off, they would get off Ellis Island, which is right next door to us. They would hop on illegally into a train at Hoboken and then they would just take the, take the train to wherever it went and that's thus how they became hobos which is interesting because we also look at ourselves as sending churches so maybe we can just say that we're sending hobos <laughs> to your churches so and that actually be you know a good thing a good thing a positive thing <laughs> so cool so as a lead pastor you know what do you value about small group network um, one of the things that i i one i i love the opportunity to learn from other churches uh from from the beginning of not just planting Hoboken Grace, but just growing up as a pastor's kid, watching all of the different ways that churches would do things. And, and I had the opportunity to be able to grow up in a variety of, variety of different places. So I, I lived in Alabama, Pennsylvania, Michigan, New York. Those are very different places culturally. Yes. I've seen churches do things very differently. And I think I had the advantage early on of realizing that none of them was exactly right. Mm -hmm. So I love the opportunity to be able to learn from different churches, from different groups, different cultures. I specifically really appreciate the small group network for, for you. And our staff is kind of a unique staff because yeah. we've never... we. I think in the history of Hoboken Grace, we've hired one person from another church yeah. that had worked for... They, we didn't hire them away from that church. They actually weren't at the time working for a church. But I've only ever hired one person who has worked for a church before. Yeah. So networks to me are very important for both the development of uh, those individuals' career, but then also just that ability to learn from others in a field that they have no experience in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's been great too in that, you know, you, you did a great job apprenticing me and teaching me everything you know, but then there's, there's a ceiling and I, you know, it's not like I can just keep coming back and, and figuring things out. Like you, you need to go and learn from others who've been doing this for, for much longer and, and kind of have this specific focus, which has just been amazing. And there's, so. there's, there's never an end to it. No. So there, there has to be, there has to be constant learning because culture is constantly changing. So groups have to be, have to be constantly changing. So it's incredibly important that there's a context in which that's happening. And as we all know, I mean, if you're a small groups person, hopefully you believe this, hopefully you hold to this learning happens best in community. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So re- just sitting and reading the books is not all that <laughs> beneficial. Doing it in community. That's kind of the mantra of small groups, right? <laughs> that's why we have, why we do what we do. Yeah. I, I would say this is a great place too to plug. Like we have our uh, small group network Facebook page, which kind of provides that community aspect and the in-betweens that I think are, are really good to, to continue that conversation. So, you know, when you see this podcast posted there and you have a comment or a question, like, you know, put it on there. I'll, I'll definitely see it and, and respond to it. So one of the things that you said inside there was how you're hiring more comes from internal trying to be organic. What, what led to that? What, what kind of like inspired that? So for example, like you found me at 23, like, which like <laughs> I look back on that. I just find that like so bizarre and crazy that that one worked. But or maybe it didn't. Well, I was but, 27, yeah. so it wasn't that big. Of <laughs> that's a gap, the other thing that's crazy. But yeah. That is crazy, and yeah, <laughs> hard to fathom now. Yeah, but what would you say? Like, why? What's the preference on organic? What what has helped with that? And one, our, we don't have a lot of churches around us. No, <laughs> we definitely don't have a lot of churches Welcome to the northeast. Especially, <laughs> especially when we started Hoboken Grace, yeah. we didn't have really any churches around us that did what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a situation where you were going to be able to hire someone within the, within the culture, not the culture of our church, within our culture of New York, New Jersey, New York metro, metro area that had any experience doing what we were trying to do. So that was part of it. The other part of it is this area of the country is a hard place to live. Yes. It's very unlikely that people will move here and stay. Yeah. And I had the opportunity of experiencing that as a church, watching church plants for seven years before we started Hoboken Grace. I was part of planting churches in the metro area. So I watched not just people that were hired to church plants leave, I watched most of the church planners leave. Mm -hmm. They would come, they'd stay for a little while. Even if they were very successful, they'd be here for five years and then they'd leave. Yeah. So I got to the point where I, I, I realized if we're going to have staff members that stay long term, it's better to hire individuals from the culture who loved the culture. Again, not church culture the culture of New York metro area uh, and to be very intentional, not just after we hired them, but before we hired them and developing individuals who could step into those roles yeah. and lead our church forward. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't, I don't think that I realized this until recently, but it's not necessarily the, the cost of living definitely makes it challenging to do church in this area. No doubt. But I think one of the other things that I just totally underestimated is the transientness of this area can really get to you yeah. of just like constantly having to replace best friends, constantly having to replace, um, you know, that friend group and those things. And it just starts to, it, it kind of wears you down a bit. You know, sp- most recently what was challenging is my son who's three years old, just lost a friend for the first time that I had to explain like what is moving and being like, yeah, she's not coming back. <laughs> like was just really, really hard to like walk through with, with your family. So um, definitely takes like the missional kind of mindset or not missional, missionary mindset to, um, to being here and, and making that commitment. Cool. I think that kind of leads into today's book because 
I think, you know, you talking about finding people to carry this on and, and help carry out this mission. I think a lot of principles, you know, come from this book that we've kind of learned over the years. And, you know, that's a big reason why I chose. So I chose today's book. And when I was asked to start this podcast last May, this was always a book on my short list that I really wanted to cover because it had such an impact on our church here. And, you know, I was thinking for the past couple of months, like, man, who do I want to be this guest? And then it hit me. There's probably no one better to be a guest on this one than the guy that I originally walked through this book with. And I think we've gone through it now four times together. At least. So it's a book that we try to bring up in our staff over and over and over again. So I guess I should introduce the book. The book is E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Michael Gerber is actually a former lobby uh, uh, speaker. So my first lobby back in 2013, Michael Gerber was the, the guest there. Um, which was awesome. I know he's a, a close friend uh, with Saddleback in Southern California. But uh, Chris, what originally drew you to the book Emeth? So when we, especially when we started Hoboken Grace, before that, as I was, as I was part of church planning, I, I explored this. But at 27, <laughs> deciding that my wife and I were going to move to the most expensive city in Hoboken with we didn't have a great network when, when we first started Hoboken Grace. I, I was trying to learn anything and everything that I, I could. And one of the things that I did is that I would go to pastors that I respected. I wrote to pastors that I respected but didn't know and just asked. I asked every leader I could, what are the top three books that you would read? And at the time, Andy Stanley had a list of books that he suggested. Uh, Rick had a uh, Rick Warren had a list of. I don't know why people think they can just call him Rick, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, had a book had a list, and I looked at multiple multiple lists and saw that there was one that was consistent across them, mm-hmm. and it was it was Emeth. And I tried to read as many of them as I possibly could. But once I read E-Myth, especially having worked in church planting, I realized this is the book I have to live by in terms of how we structure, how we organize, how we move through, especially those first few years of Hoboken Grace. Yeah. So if you pick up this book, this book is a a book about small businesses. And specifically, um, you know, it starts with that typical story of someone tells someone, Hey, you're really good at this. Like you should go and start and do this. And, um, what ends up happening is you have the immediate success right away and then things get extremely difficult. And then you just end up hating your business and hating, you know, the day to day. And it just turns into a grind. And this book really tries to help people get out of that grind and and to, to have a business rather than be the business, um, is a, is a big part of that. And I think another thing that that drew me in immediately yeah. when I started reading the book is it was literally like reading the stories of all of the church planners that I was yeah. watching leave New York. Yes. And the the failure story at the beginning was a perfect example of why I was seeing so many church plants fail. So I it drew me in and from the beginning i was convinced okay uh, i have i have to learn uh the principles that are being taught here so that hoboken grace wasn't another one of those stories yeah and the 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 failure you're talking about at the beginning is called the fatal assumption and says 
if you understand the technical work of a business, you understand a business that does that technical work. And, you know, I think that just immediately translates into almost, you know, with a church where like, you know what a church does, but not necessarily like what it's going to take to get there and, and to have it be sustainable. So I think one thing that we need to address is that, you know, we're going to be talking a lot of like business because this is a heavy, heavy business book. Yep. But one of the things that we hear often is, oh, a church shouldn't be run like a business. And so, you know, what, what I'm asking you is, what is right about that? What, what do we get? What is wrong about that, that assumption? To me, it's, it's an interesting question. And I've, I've had people ask me the question before. It doesn't, it doesn't register with, with me because I don't think of books as business books or church books. I think of books as leadership books. Yeah. And leadership is the same. Yes. It, it, it translates across. You could, Okay, let's not talk about business. Let's talk about school or let's talk about <laughs> yeah. or let's talk about family structure. You, you the principles of leadership translate across these different arenas of life. And when you read through Emith, it's talking about leadership in the arena of business, but leadership is leadership and and clearly God values leadership clearly Yes. God even identifies leadership as a spiritual gift. The, the, so I want to be able to learn about leadership in whatever arena it is. And then that should translate into how we lead inside the church. Uh, so, so for me, it, it, it usually catches me off guard because I don't, <laughs> I don't think about I, the idea of running a business or running a church, it, that's not the way that I think about it. I think about leading and yeah. leading a business or leading a church. And those principles should be the same. Yeah. I think the other thing that goes with that too is that like you still have employees. Like you still have to... It's not like you can just... We're just winging it and like, you know, there's just go at it, whatever you want, like kind of thing. I think like you, you need that structure. I think sometimes we confuse structure for business. I think it's some, sometimes mm -hmm. maybe potentially part of that. But um, so, I mean, the other thing too is like, this is a very business community. So, I mean, 60% of our uh, people who live in Hoboken work in the financial district because the trains that you were referring to earlier lead right into the financial district. That's the reason I chose Hoboken. I was originally working in the financial district. And, um, um, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, attracted me to this church or at least, you know, helped me to, to, to stay or at least like check it out was things, things were done at a professional kind of level that I wasn't necessarily expecting at a church. You know, what chose, like, what, what led you to have, you know, a church where you're, you're having kind of that, um, professional kind of environment in inside your community. I'm a I'm a I'm a firm believer in the value of reflection. Mm -hmm. It's you know it's one of our core values. Yes. I, I talk about it quite frequently. I think that so so Paul writes to Timothy and says you need to take very seriously everything that you do because all of it reflects on what you teach. And that that to me 
I rem- you've heard me tell the story of when I, I, this just blew up in my life. We were short version of it. We were working on an event at a church that I was part of previously. And as I was walking out of my office, they handed me the flyer for the event. I walked home, got my mail, happened to be sitting on my couch, looking at the flyer for our event that we were running. And then also a letter that I'd received from discover card that was trying to convince me to sign up for a credit card. As I looked at both of them, I realized I was more excited about signing up for a credit card than I was about attending our event. And it had everything to do with presentation. Mm -hmm. And we claimed that at this event, we were going to share what was going to save your life. And I knew (laughs) that the credit card was going to destroy my life. And yet I was still more excited about what was going to destroy my life than I was about what where we were going to present the message of Jesus and it had everything to do with presentation one looked sharp one looked sloppy one the communication was clear and engaging the other one wasn't and at that moment I realized it doesn't matter if we have the greatest message if we present it in a, a sloppy and careless way so, uh, and I, I think there are a lot of people who, who talk about excellence in what we do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we say here at Hoboken Grace is that we want to be professional, but not polished. Yeah. Polished is when you, uh, you, you overproduce something and it becomes more about the, the show of it than mm-hmm. it does the uh, effectiveness of it. Professional is when you care about the effectiveness of something. And yeah. and so, as you go into your communication, you want to do everything that you can to be able to make that as effective as possible, but you don't want to overproduce it where it becomes about the presentation as opposed to the, the, goal, of, uh, the goal of the presentation, uh, or as I said, the effectiveness of yeah. it. So, so, we just... That was part of who we were from the beginning. I would say there's some authenticity inside of that too, right? In that, like, if something that's not polished, usually where you're trying to hide something or something that, you know, you're trying to, it's like when we clean the house completely because we have guests coming over and it's like everything needs to be in its place and out of the way. And, you know, uh, it, it goes back to me to what's the goal. Yeah. And is the goal the effectiveness of the communication or is the goal, the presentation. Mm-hmm. And it comes off as inauthentic when it's clear the goal was the presentation even more so than the effectiveness of the communication. Then you look at it and say, well, you don't really care most about what you're communicating. You care most about the presentation. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Small Group Network, Jason Bandoff here, and I interrupt this great episode of Reading Lens to talk to you about some new events that are coming up. Have you been missing connection and conferences over the past year? Well, you're in luck because we have a few great ones popping up all over the U.S. Here are just a few. Accelerate South Carolina is April 12th through the 13th. Accelerate Florida is April 20th through the 21st. Accelerate Las Vegas, May 4th through the 5th. And Align Nashville, May 12th. Make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events for more information. Now back to Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. This book talks a bunch about franchising, right? So a, a big core part of this book is, is franchising and, and why it's important and and why this woman, Sarah, who has this bakery business should be thinking franchise as opposed to just, you know, one kind of individual. How, how does franchising benefit small groups? Like how does this mentality benefit the church and, and small groups? So I, I know when, uh, when people 
hear this, many people are going to struggle with yes. the idea of small groups and franchising. And it's always the nervousness I have when I give people this book too. It's like, because he uses McDonald's as his like go-to mm-hmm. example. And some, some people have a really hard time when McDonald's is the example that gets used as to, as to why this is a model of success, but kind of fail to see what has made them successful. But carry on, sorry. Right, because McDonald's is oftentimes seen as unhealthy, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that may be. But one of the things that's, that's really in, important inside of any small group community is consistency. And this isn't just for individuals who are moving from small group to another small group, but in, in order to be able to engage people in community like this, you, you have to be able to communicate to them what they can expect. And that needs to be the same no matter what group they step into. Mm-hmm. There, there needs to be clear expectations from the person who is leveraging their influence. And, and this is what you as small group directors do. This is what your lead pastors do. They leverage their influence to move people into these groups. Yeah. They need to be able to clearly communicate to the people that they're leveraging their influence uh, in their lives what it is that they're going to ex- what it is that they're going to expect as they step into that group. And when when that breaks down, in other words, when you know I tell people, "Hey, listen, this is what you can experience when you step in the group," and then they step in the group and it's totally different. Yeah, then you you lose your the word gets out. Yeah. And you bounce, your bounce rate, if you will, yeah. becomes very high. You then lose your trust the next time you ask them to take a step. Absolutely. Because you had promised them one thing and delivered something else. And so like, I think, I think what's helpful is to think of, think of Starbucks, right? We go to the Starbucks down the street. It's going to taste the same as the Starbucks that, you know, when I visit California and I go try a Starbucks there, it's, the, it's that same coffee, that same, the, you know what you're going to expect when you go there. I think that's the same thing that we're trying to create inside of our groups where, you know, each group has sort of a set of structure that, that is going to experience the same thing. And, and I think it, it's good for both the person who's going to lead it. And it's also good for the person who's going to attend it. Um, I think that's one of the things that we, we miss in this as well is like the leader knows what they're getting into. They're not going to have to get in and try to create and try to be. Uh, try to figure out what they're going to have to do. Like, the, if if we're able to communicate clearly, you know, what are those kind of boundaries and structures and things in, in place through our training? Um, I think that's one of the things that really helps when then comes to comes to recruiting as well. And I think it's important for leaders to understand. And I've never seen anyone who uh, I've never seen anyone who does this well. Yeah. But it's important for leaders to understand that they're not leading inside of their own platform. Hmm. Yeah. And a major mistake that leaders make is that they think, okay, well, this is my platform. No, it's actually not. You're leveraging someone else's platform. Yeah. And, and whether that's the platform that the church has built or whether that's a platform that the small group uh, 
director in, in the, that area has built, yeah. you're leveraging other people's platforms. And sometimes we'll have this conversation with groups because they'll come to us and say, hey, listen, I don't want my group to be like your groups. I want my group <laughs> to be like this. And we'll say, okay, but we're not going to leverage our platform to build your group. Yeah. And to build your, pl- it, that that doesn't make sense. We're, we're moving together as a cohesive unit in one direction. And therefore, we're going to leverage our platform uh, to be able to put people into groups that we know that they're going to accomplish what groups set out to accomplish because groups have a mission. Mm-hmm. They don't just exist in this world by themselves. They have a, a place and they have a role to play in our strategy of how we're developing disciples. Yeah. And if you want to have a group that accomplishes part of the strategy that another aspect of our church is already designed to accomplish, we will frequently tell them this. You can, you can still be a group. Yeah. We're, we're just, we're not going to promote you online. We're not going to list you as one of our, one of our dinner groups. You can keep meeting. And what happens almost every time the group dies. Why? (laughs) Because the leader didn't actually have a platform. They didn't actually have, and, and they needed in order for the group to survive, they really needed for, uh, for us to leverage our platform uh, to bring people into that group. And yeah, I think the other thing is important too, that that's just a way too, that we're also trying to protect those in our congregation that are going to be stepping into these groups. Because again, like we shared earlier, we're trying to deliver an expectation. And if they want to take six months to go explore something different, then that's not necessarily what we're communicating from stage. And if we send someone to that group, like they're not getting what we you know promised to, to deliver on. Um, I think the other thing that's that's really important about the, like franchising inside of uh, small groups is that like your groups need to be reproducible, mm-hmm. um, which franchises are. Um, so, so I think that then influences how you structure your groups because if it's too complicated, then you're gonna you're gonna seize up that that reproduction. And one of the things that we've also learned from the leader standpoint is if a leader leads at too high of a level. Where you know they're going above and beyond, they're sending a daily newsletter, they're doing all these things that are like above and beyond. It gets really hard for them to find someone to to apprentice or launch a new group because what they see from that leader is something like, "Oh, I I can't do that. Like that's not that's not achievable." Well, this is a great place where the book speaks to this. Yeah, because she was a phenomenal pie maker. She was. But she never created, she never cared about creating a system that would allow people to do the same thing. Yeah. And some of you have incredible leaders in your church that never reproduce Mm -hmm. because they're very concerned with how they're going to lead or they're very concerned with what it is that they're doing and doing it at this incredible level, but not actually taking the time to look at it and say, well, how could I help someone else do this? And if they would take the time to do that, they would realize, okay, uh, one, part of what I'm pouring into what I'm executing, it needs to be redirected towards multiplication. And this isn't, this isn't a good idea thing, mm-hmm. by the way. This is a biblically mandated thing, a command that you, that, that, part of your mission and part of what your energy should be going towards is multiplication. Therefore, I don't have time to write the daily newsletter. <laughs> I need to be spending time with other leaders as yes. well. I need, and, and that, that's a great point I hadn't thought of before of like, where's your, that resource going? Like, 
You, well, yeah, you can be an unbelievable speaker if you don't invest in your leaders. Yeah. You you know, I, I've met church planners like that. And they're like, yeah, I spend 35 hours a week on my message. And I'm like, that's great. But you're ignoring <laughs> 2 Timothy 2.2 2 completely. Yeah. And you, so, but that's where when you uh, as a leader... Mm-hmm. Do the hard work of multiplication, which is what this book is all about. Yeah. It, it, it's going to change the way that you look at what you do as a leader, the system that you have as a leader, uh, and how you can teach that to others. Yeah. So, so let's, let's end the franchising thing here. I, I, I can hear some of our audience members right now, you know, shouting at us, you know, about how, you know, franchises have no personalities and they're just, you know, copying each other and, you know, is that what you're asking us to do? Or are you just asking us to, to create lifeless, like, you know, cookie cutter kind of groups? So one of the things that I, I learned early on, there's, there's, two, there's two individuals that really I saw this in. So I'm a creative person. Uh, I love creating. I love dreaming. I love new things. I love trying new things. Uh, to the extent that oftentimes it was detrimental mm-hmm. to my leadership. Uh, you've heard me talk about my associate, my assistant, really good friend of mine had been with me a long time. I was in the midst of changing something that we were doing. And she looked at me and she said, Chris, you're going to be a terrible dad. <laughs> and it was, he, most people were like, Oh my goodness, that's the harshest thing. But she was so loving and so caring that when she said it, I didn't react negatively. I actually was like, okay, why? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and she started to unpack for me how I was, I changed things too frequently and I wasn't consistent. And I didn't care. I didn't follow. I didn't actually carry through on an idea to completion before I started changing something else. Um, and when we started Hoboken Grace, Obviously, we were trying a lot of different things. Nobody was really doing what we were doing. Dinner groups was the result of us just trying new things because we couldn't get people to show up to small group. So we just said, hey, come have dinner with us. We'll call them dinner groups. You have to eat anyway. So might as well just eat with us and then we'll, you know, have a conversation while we do it. And that happened to work. Yeah. People always think it's because we did this romantic idea of like, you know, having meals together and stuff like, no, it was just a complete accident. (laughs) The only time people would ever meet with us was if we said, Hey, let's grab dinner together. And what we came to learn is just like, that's how our culture meets. Yeah, it is. And like when we started to learn our culture, that's your groups should, should almost model how people in your, your community are meeting. So exactly. But we were, so we're, we're trying all these different things. And at the same time, I'm trying to learn from other leaders. And one of the things that one of the things that blew me away is that I I love Rick Warren, but I've heard him give the same message <laughs> so many times. And specifically, just the whole purpose thing, which obviously it's, yeah. it's the heart of it. But it's like. Christmas series purpose, this series purpose. It was just over and over and over and over again. And at the same time, at the same time, I also love Irwin McManus, right? <laughs> and and I, I, everything with Irwin is creation, like creativity, like every single series. It's the same. It's the same thing. And but what I but what I realized is 
as I was watching them and as I'm doing, working through this with, as a church plant is that the key to growth and the key to discipleship is consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't have to give us a new book every year. He already gave us the whole thing. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean like a, a new version next year because <laughs> of it, it, it's being, con, it's be, it's the consistent communication of those truths, those fundamental truths that we, uh, many of us, so that if you're watching this, you know, but you don't consistently practice yet and you're working to be able to build into your life and you will for the rest of your life. But that consistency leads to incredible growth and transformation. And Rick's consistency of that message has led to phenomenal growth and transformation. Yeah. And I watched that and I said, okay, wait, I used to think, and this is what I actually thought. Some of you think this, you think that create creativity, it creates change. That's not actually true. Consistency creates change. But in order for consistency to be engaging, it, you have to be creative with it. So we started to say something early on at Hoboken Grace. Don't be, because I wanted to be engaging and I wanted for, you know, to seem, you know, Andy Stanley's thing about seeming relevant. Some, some things are relevant, but they don't seem relevant. So you have to make them seem relevant. I wanted to do that. So I always, I was trying to be consistently creative Mm -hmm. and working as hard as I could to be consistently creative, always bringing creative things in. And then I realized watching Rick and watching Irwin, watching Andy, watching, especially the the really great communicators. I realized, Oh, wait, 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 wait. I have this backwards. I have this backwards. I have to stop trying to be consistently creative and I have to start, start working to be creatively consistent. Yeah. And if I could become creatively consistent, then I, I, could, I could really begin to develop disciples. And here's where it f- factors into the franchising groups. Some of your leaders want to be consistently creative. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they want, we're going to do this with our group. We're going to do this with our group. And we're going to try this over here. We're going to be in. And, and they end up bouncing people. And uh, they're creative, but there's not... There's not actual transformation or growth that comes out of that. And that's ultimately the goal. That's, that's, that's what you evaluate against. Whereas when we talk about franchising, we're not talking about we give them every minute of the, of the day of group. But what we are talking about is that there's a consistent system. There's consistent outcomes that, that you're working towards. There's a, that we have pillars, which is genius, by the way, if you haven't interacted with that. We have pillars that we expect our group to do. And uh, just to explain quickly, pillars are kind of our way of just making sure that when we were trying to figure out what we wanted our groups to accomplish, you know, we, we realized we were giving them all these different tools, all these different things that they wanted to do, but then none of them were actually being utilized. And we, we stopped and we paused and we said, okay, like, let's zoom out over the course of a month. What, what is it that we want them to do? Well, we want them to um, connect with others outside of their outside of their immediate community, you know, those friends, coworkers, neighbors they're trying to reach. We wanted them to um, share with each other different experiences, whether it's their stories, whether it's their um, breaking bread together, whether it's a devotional. We wanted them to um, talk about their personal growth um, that they have in, in their spiritual development. And then we also wanted them, which is like is common growth, which is, you know, we talk in series here. And so we just got out of a relationship series. Everyone might be on a different point in that journey. 
but at least they're all taking a step together inside that, which becomes an encouraging environment. But um, those are the pillars quickly of, of what we're trying to, to, to structure. But within it is all of this freedom. And we're just trying to help them realize like, can you hit one of these four within the month? And you know, another episode, I can go into that in more depth, but it's really, it, it's, it's really genius. And that's what, that's what we're talking about when we're talking, talking about franchising and, and we want to be able to, to implement that system and then to be able to say to leaders, okay, be creatively consistent. Yeah. Be creatively consistent. So you're connecting mm-hmm. every month. It, be creative with what that looks like. Yeah. And, and for each group, it's going to be a little bit different. But let me say this about franchising too, for those of you who are pushing, <laughs> for, for those of you who are pushing back on it with groups. Here's what, here's what many of you are doing. You're not giving your groups a system. You're yeah. bringing the group leader on and you're saying, Hey, you know, we want our groups to have freedom and we want our groups to do all these things. So one, you're asking them to build the system them, them, themselves, yeah. which most of them don't have the time or the energy to actually do, or you only have leaders that have that time, yeah. which means you're limiting the number of people who can actually be leaders inside of your church. Uh, and, and then the other thing that happens is this, and I know it's happening they develop a system and then you come back and say, I don't like that system. <laughs> you do. At, or, or at least it's something negative and they blame you for that. Mm-hmm. And they're right. Oh yeah. They're right. You set them up for that. Yeah. You set them up for that. It's just like in the book, the individual who doesn't, you know, who implements the wrong way of making the pies and it's her fault. It's not that person's fault. It's, it's her fault. And that person has every right to be able to say to her, like you, you set me up to fail. Yeah. Because you actually knew some of the parameters of the system that you wanted to be in place. And you actually knew how to produce the product that needed to be produced. And for you as small group leaders, many of you, you understand some of those key aspects of discipleship and you understand that inside of your church, your groups don't exist on an island. They're not just this place to create great hangouts. They have a role to play. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I've said this to Nick many times over the years. If our groups don't play this role, we don't create disciples. Yeah. And if our groups don't play this role, I can't communicate the way that I communicate. And I just need to know if our groups aren't going to do it, then I have to change the the way that I communicate on Sunday because my communication is dependent on groups carrying out this role. And hopefully your groups function that way as well. That's, that's fantastic. I think, you know, if you're, you're listening to this and you know, you're, this sounds like a a brand new concept to you. I think one of the things I would encourage you to with is, you know, we started with just, can you identify what are the values that you want inside of your group? Mm-hmm. Um, because for the longest time, that it's really still to this day, those are what determine what we deem is like a group that we're going to promote. And so our values come from 3C Church in Chicago Community Christian Christ, Church. Yeah, they, they literally, they chose it on purpose to be the yeah. most generic name that they could. So and they, they, they accomplished it because no one can ever I remember. I apologize about that. Um, but um, their values are, and we, we, we borrowed them, took them, whatever you want to say, uh, connect the unconnected, help people take their next steps, reproduce groups and leaders. If our groups are doing those three things, 
we're going to leave them alone. We're going to we're going to let them do you know what they're going to do. But we also know if they're doing those three things, they're accomplishing our mission of of creating disciples and mm-hmm. and uh, helping people find their way back to God. So much great stuff. I hope that you were able to take away a lot from today. Remember, this was just part one. So join us next week on the same podcast where we're going to go into part two of this incredible book. I will see you next week. Remember, readers are leaders. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.